0: see what we can learn from it. I'd like to focus maybe not so much on the um, the construction of the Mishkan because I think the construction of the Mishkan is uh, something that you know was repeated several times. Really the truth of the matter is that um, that the Mishkan the construction of the Mishkan we tend to gloss over it because it's very technical and there's a lot of detail and nuance to it uh, and it seems to be uh, it seems to be very uh Overwhelming and all the information that's, you know, all the numbers and all the sizes of the different things and so on. But the reality is that, um, the reality is that actually to really understand the Mishkan, you have to delve into each part. It's the opposite of what we do. We tend to get so overwhelmed by the details that we just kind of give an overview of what the Mishkan is about and leave it at that, and we don't go into the particulars. Because, uh, because they're a little bit uh, overwhelming Or we feel like almost intimidated by them But the, but the truth of the matter is that you know, the, the beauty of the Mishkan lies in, in all those details And it's actually insufficient To, uh, to give a cursory review of the, of the Mishkan You have to go into each component of it in much more depth uh, In order to appreciate what it's about uh, So that's actually um, It's the opposite of what you would think you think that we gloss over it because, um, you know, most people maybe gloss over it because they don't see the beauty in the uh, in the details of the mishkan. But actually, a, a, a reason to gloss over it is the opposite, that we, we can't really do justice to it in such a short shiur. You would need a shiur on each one of the components of the mishkan and how they all fit together. And uh, and that would be uh, uh, quite a feat. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be able to be done. Maybe maybe next year, Bezalel Hashem, we'll, we can do a, a more uh, over this over the weeks of the Mishkan uh, uh, that we discussed the Mishkan in the Parashah, Maybe we can uh, maybe we can delve into the components with a little more a little greater depth. But we'll leave that for next year. For now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Vayakil Pekudei, a particular element of it that I thought um, that stands out because actually the rabbis comment on it a lot, and there's a lot to learn from it. And that is the um, In the beginning of, uh, of uh, Vayakel If you noticed Vayakel-Pikudeh It's not so evenly balanced Because actually Vayakel is a, very, is a relatively long Or at least you might say full-sized parasha And Picude is uh, <clears throat> Is a relatively short parasha So Vayakel could almost stand on its own as a parasha Whereas Pikudeh is, uh, is a little bit shorter But in the beginning of Vayakel um, and again, much of it is repetition from Tzuman Titzaveh in terms of the descriptions of the Mishkan. But at uh, the beginning of Vayakil, we have the exhortation from Moshe Rabbeinu to observe Shabbat and not to be building the Mishkan on Shabbat. And, uh, and right after that is, uh, is mentioned the collection of the items that were necessary for the construction of the Mishkan and the actual construction of the Mishkan. Now, <clears throat> in the... Uh, and of course, the rabbis learn and the rabbis note that... Um, Shabbat and the, and the construction of the Mishkan Are always juxtaposed to one another There's a relationship between the Mishkan and Shabbat And on a technical level The, uh, the rabbis say that the reason for that is because Or, or that the, what that comes to teach us I should say What we learn from that Is that Melacha Melacha is what you're not allowed to do on Shabbat right? Melacha Six days you should do Melacha Or mel- really Te'ase Melacha is Six days Melacha shall be done On the seventh day we have Shabbat Melacha doesn't really mean work like it's translated in English. Work is something that refers to is a psychological phenomenon. What a person considers work is uh, is psychological. One person's work is another person's joy. Uh, some people find digging and, and planting things in in a uh, in the ground to be toil and work, and other people find it to be a delightful hobby that they enjoy doing, planting a garden. That's a subjective phenomenon. What is avodah? is subjective and it's psychological, it has to do with uh, the experience of toil. Uh, Milaha has a formal definition, has an objective definition. Definition of melacha is creative activity, activity that applies the uh, technical know-how of the person to produce something that wasn't there before, to take material and change it in a way uh, that is significant. So uh, writing could be melacha on Shabbat, writing is a melacha. Even writing two letters, even though it's not, uh, it doesn't tire a person out to write two letters, but it creates something new. It's uh, a new entity that has meaning. Two letters could be a word. Um, Planting something in the ground. a person likes to plant flowers or attend to their garden. They might enjoy that, but it's a melacha because it creates and produces something that wasn't there before. So m'lacha has a formal definition, like I said, objective definition, and that's why we can hold somebody responsible or accountable for melacha. Because can be uh, identified, can be um, can be categorized according to the law. Avoda is my personal feeling, and so uh, if a person is um, like right now, um, if I'm if I'm learning with everybody here, it's not really avoda. It's not something that I find to be taxing or something that I find to be uh, tiresome. So uh, you know, it's something that uh, it's something I enjoy doing. So it's not really avodah. But for somebody who doesn't like to do it, it might be avodah for a professor who has been teaching the same things for uh, 30 years and he pulls out his yellowed notes, which I had a professor like that in graduate school, who pulled out the notes from his briefcase to read from the notes and uh, they were all yellow and he had been reading from the same notes for 30 years. For him, that was avodah, was drudgery. But melakha is a different thing. Melacha has a definition. And where do we determine? So since melakha, creative activity, uh, activity that, uh, that employs some kind of technique to, uh, to produce something new. So how do we know where to draw the line between ordinary activity and melakha? So the rabbis say the categories of melakha are uh, the categories of activity that went into the construction of the mishkan. And that's why the construction of the mishkan is always interrupted by or preceded by uh, or followed by Uh, Discussion of Shabbat Because Shabbat is uh, Defined as the day Where we don't do the things that we were doing To construct the Mishkan Because those are the Melachot that are prohibited on Shabbat So there's a relationship Between Shabbat and the Mishkan Now I want you to keep that in mind Because that's going to come back soon But halachically speaking Meaning from the perspective of halacha We have 39 Melachot And these 39 Melachot are based upon uh, the, um, are based upon the, the activities that were done in the mishkan Now that doesn't mean that uh, That they didn't have a concept of melechah before the mishkan was invented Because Shabbat was given before the mishkan was, uh, was introduced So obviously they had a way to observe Shabbat And a concept of what melechah was even before the mishkan was introduced But the, but the definition and the categories and the precision with which melechah was defined only came into existence when the mishkan came to existence. Now why? Why should it be that uh, we should use something like the mishkan to define melechah for us? Shouldn't melechah have its own meaning independent of the mishkan? Why should we have to? In other words, what, what's the purpose of categorizing melechah based upon what was done in the mishkan? It's a, it's a neat way to remember maybe what, um, what the melachot are, but in actual fact, The Mahara goes to great lengths and actually has trouble trying to find where certain malachot were done in the mishkan. Because once you say that every, everything that's done in the mishkan is prohibited on Shabbat, so that means everything that's prohibited on Shabbat has to have some source in the activity that was done in the mishkan. And the rabbis go to great pains to try to prove that, try to demonstrate how it is that everything that's mentioned in, uh, in the halachot of Shabbat has a source in the activity that was done in the mishkan. It sounds like they created a problem for themselves by saying that we have to tie the laws of Shabbat to the construction of the mishkan. They required, They put a hurdle in their path that now they had to, de- they had to demonstrate that uh, everything that's prohibited on Shabbat is found somewhere in the construction of the Mishkan. Wh- why do that? Why don't just say that M'lacha is prohibited? And of course, building the Mishkan is one example of M'lacha, and therefore building the Mishkan is not allowed on Shabbat. But why do we have to say that everything that's prohibited on Shabbat is connected somehow to the Mishkan? Let's leave that idea in the back of our heads. Now, we turn to, I'm turning here to the third aliyah of Parashat Vayakel, which also is... Um, is the uh, it would be the second aliyah on a, uh, on, a on a on a Shabbat where uh, where kill and there are separate and let me see if I can actually pull it up here on Safari like I did last time um, to show you what I'm looking at so you can see what I'm looking at um, and uh, and follow along there so I'm going to try to pull it up try to do one of the screen shares let's see if I can do it first find it and then uh, and then open it. Um, go I found it that part I did let's see where's the puzzle that I wanted it kind of changes the format a little bit when when you open it ah here we go so um I'm gonna do the screen share here I have too many tabs open on here, so therefore it's like trying to it's not giving me the right things, not giving me the right choices. Let me try that again. We come now. Ah, here it did. This time we came. Here we go. All right. So Hashem Look, Hashem is called by name Bitzalel ben Uri ben Hur ben Yehuda. This is Bitzalel who is the architect. Who is going to construct the Mishkan by male Elohim, and uh, he has given him a spirit of God, with understanding and knowledge and all forms of knowledge of craft, machashavot to calculate things and to It goes on in all, to all of the uh, various kinds of uh, materials, and then in pasuk thirty-four and to direct he put in his heart to, to, to direct the other workers he, who, he and Aholiyev ben Amach, Dan, who was his assistant <speaking in the language> he fill, Hashem filled them with the uh, with wisdom of the heart etc now the interesting thing is that um, and again it mentions that again <speaking in the language> that Bitzalel and Aholiyev and all of the people in, into whose hearts Hashem placed wisdom and understanding to know how to do all of this melacha, they joined B'tzal El. And, uh, and again, it says, How many times did it have to say the same thing? It says so many times that Hashem put wisdom in their hearts. It put wisdom in the hearts of B'tzal El. And again, it said that with people that Hashem put wisdom in their hearts. And again, it said that all the ish that Hashem put wisdom in their hearts. Again and again and again, it says that Hashem put wisdom in their hearts. It's a very interesting thing. Why repeat that again and again? Also, when we think of architects or we think of people who are uh, project managers of construction, we don't think of them as having ruach Elohim, that they have the spirit of God in them. I mean, it seems like an exaggeration or a uh, over to be overqualified for the job of being the chief architect. That he has some kind of a uh, divine spirit that he has the divine spirit and wisdom and understanding and knowledge of all the crafts okay knowledge of all the crafts we understand because he needs to be able to direct the construction of the mishkan so therefore he has to know just like a project manager or somebody who is in, in construction has to know what they're dealing with but why the Spirit of God? And why does it have to mention every time That all of these Chachamim Hashem had placed wisdom in their hearts And it, it seems like a, uh, something more spiritual Than it really is Because what we're talking about here Is a construction project We're talking about something that is uh, About taking the plans that were laid out in the, uh, to, to design the Mishkan And uh, implementing them I mean why, why is it necessary To go to such lengths To exaggerate the great wisdom and understanding And to overqualify To choose such overqualified people For, uh, for this uh, undertaking and so I wanted to share with you, since we're uh, sharing screen, a uh, something in the Talmud that talks about this very question, and um, and I, it it will eventually tie us back to the uh, to the question that we uh, that we started with, which is the connection between Shabbat and the uh, and the Mishkan. Amar Rabbi Shmuel bar Nachmani, Amar Rabbi This is from the Talmud Masechet Bachot. Daf Nun Hay Amud Aleph, page 55a of Masachet Bachot. I'm also bringing it from Sepharia here. It says, Bitzal El al Shem Chuchmatonika. Bitzal El was called Bitzal El, literally means in the shadow of God. So, what does it mean? It was named that way because of his wisdom. Bisha Amalo a Kadorba Chule Moshe Lech emolo le Bitzal El aseli Mishkan a veKelim. So when Hashem, the Holy One, blessed be, he said to Moshe, tell Bezalel, make me a mishkan and a container. The Aaron is what contains the luchot, the tablets, and also vessels. Halach Moshe v'hafach. Moshe went and he switched it around and he said to him, Ase Aaron the him mishkan. He said, first make the Aaron, the ark that will contain the tablets, and then make the other vessels, and then make the mishkan, the actual building. Amar lo, Bezalel said, Moshe Rabbeinu, he responded and he said Normally a person first builds a structure And then he puts into it all kinds of vessels You're telling me to make a, uh, first the different vessels And only then to, bring the, uh, to, to construct the Mishkan around it How could that be? these different vessels that I make, fashion. Where am I going to put them if I don't have a if I don't have a structure? So Bitzalel said to Moshe, maybe what Hashem actually said to you was first build the tent and then build the Aaron and then build the other vessels. Moshe Rabbeinu said, Maybe you were in the shadow of God, so to speak, and you knew this. Meaning, how did you know? Moshe Rabbeinu, knew when he conveyed it to Bezalel, flipped around the order. He knew that, but nobody else knew that. Bezalel figured out himself and it was the other way around that the way Moshe was presenting it to him was not the way Hashem had said it. Hashem had said, first make the mishkan, the structure, and then make the things that go inside. But when Moshe spoke to Bitzalel, he said, no, first make the things that go inside and then build the uh, structure. So Bitzalel knew there was something off about that. And he was right. So he was called Bitzalel based upon that. Okay? And um, there's another... Now we'll come back to why that's so significant in just a second. But then we come to another piece. This is a little bit later in time. Uh, A little bit later, rabbis here. Rabbi Yudas, in the name of Rav. Yeah. So it says, That Bitzalel knew how to combine the letters by which the heavens and earth were created. You wouldn't really see any indication of that in the text. It just seems like he's a good architect. But that's what it says. This is pointing out, this is, uh, highlighting the Pasuk that we noticed also when we were reading the verses before. That Hashem filled them with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, and with knowledge. And it says in Mishlei, Hashem established the world with wisdom. He established the heavens with understanding. It says by the, wisdom, by the knowledge of God, the depths were opened up. So what does that mean? Uh, it, it's saying that the same language that was used for, uh, for the creation of the world, God's creation of the world, was used to describe B'tzalel's knowledge. So that shows you that B'tzalel had the ability to combine the letters by which Hashem created the heavens and the earth, because it uses the term chokhmah and tvunah, wisdom, understanding, and da'at, knowledge, with regard to Hashem's creation of the world. And it uses those same words. It says he was filled with the Spirit of God, chokhmah, tvunah, and da'at, for Bitzalel. so that shows you that he had knowledge of the creation that was very deep, and he knew how to combine the letters. What exactly does that mean? He knew how to combine the letters by with the, the letters that were uh, that the universe was created with are the same letters of the uh, Aleph Bet that we use. So We all know how to combine them into different words. What does it mean that he knew how to how to combine the letters? Uh, you know, uh, th- th- there's only one set of letters either way. So, what does it mean? What special knowledge is that to be able to combine the letters? What does that mean? So, we, we have to come back to that again. But finally, we have one more interesting point. Amara bi-Khanan, Rabbi Khanan said, "Ana kadash barkhu, natin hukhma, illa li-mish yish bu hukhma." Terasham only gives wisdom to someone who has wisdom. Shanamar, "Ya hib hukhmataha he gives wisdom to the wise. Uman di'aliad ebina, and he gives knowledge to those who know not, understand who already possess understanding. Shema, so that the uh and he, and they quote another and it says that uh, they quoted another pasuk. He said that's where you learn it from that pasuk in Daniel, but we learn it from the pasuk here with Btzalel. In the heart of everyone who is understanding, uh, who who everyone who is wise, I placed wisdom. In other words, someone has to be wise already to gain more wisdom. So. The you see from here, if nothing else, that the rabbis are making a very big deal out of the wisdom of Btzalel, that and that he that he had in the construction of the Mishkan, and connecting it interestingly to the creation of the universe. And I think that's especially uh, suggestive, since we see that the rabbis saw a connection between the heavens and earth, the creation. Uh, representing, let's say, for example, Shabbat is the, you know, Shabbat for, on one side and the Mishkan on the other side. That there's a relationship between Shabbat that commemorates the creation of the world and the construction of the Mishkan. And just like the creation of the world stopped before Shabbat, the construction of the Mishkan had to stop before Shabbat. And by modeling the laws of Shabbat on the laws by which the Mishkan was created... Uh, I'm sorry. Of the pre- meaning: the laws of Shabbat are based upon the activities by which the Mishkan came into being. So, so too that emphasizes the connection between the construction of the Mishkan and the construction of the world, because there's a there is a mirroring of the Mishkan and the creation of the universe. Both of them uh, are uh, uh, have a connection to this idea of melacha and this, and the idea of Shabbat and stopping on the seventh day. So. The idea that Bezalel had an understanding of the creation is a very interesting thing that they emphasize that he had an understanding of how to combine the letters of the creation. What does that mean? It means that we shouldn't think that Bezalel and all of these chachamim here who were creating the Mishkan were just really good practical uh designers of the uh, of the Mishkan because the fact is that based upon just the what's written in the text itself, you wouldn't really be able to uh, uh to to know what the vision of the Mishkan was supposed to be. You would, I don't think you'd be able to. I mean, there's information about what colors to use, what materials to use, the sizes and the shapes, to some extent, more or less laid out. But the exact way that it would look, that it would appear, that would take vision. And what kind of vision are you going to bring along? You need to bring a vision in. It needs to be a vision of, of someone who has a real understanding of what the mishkan is supposed to represent. And I think that's what it means that, that uh, B'tzalel could combine the letters through which the heavens and earth were created, it means the the letters means the 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 intelligibility. The the universe testifies to God's creation; it's God's handwork handiwork, and the letters by which it was created means the wisdom and the understanding behind that. What does it mean to combine those letters? It means to present the wisdom of Hashem in a way that is understandable to us. I think that's what the rabbis are trying to say. He combined the letters by which the heavens and earth were created means he was able to express, to convey the wisdom of Hashem, which maybe is hidden, which maybe is difficult to see. Um, He was able to convey it through the Mishkan. It's like when you hire somebody, let's say, to to design, let's say, anything – uh, it could be to design some kind, of a, uh, uh, some kind of an advertisement for your business or maybe to design something in your home or maybe to design uh, clothing, any kind of design. They're going to have their own vision. So as much as you describe to them what you're looking for, if they don't share your vision and your concept, what's going to come out is not going to be exactly what you dreamt of. It's not going to be exactly what you were thinking of. What you were imagining because they have a different vision. And the more they, it's like if somebody, let's say, if you hire someone who doesn't really understand Jewish culture to create a program. Uh, to design something which is supposed to represent Jewish values or have Jewish educational function, if they, t- to the extent that they don't really understand what those values are and they might not fully understand what the message you're trying to convey is or really the nuances of it, even though they might do a great job um, on their own terms of creating that media, whatever that media is, it's not going to necessarily, It's there's a good chance it's not going to faithfully represent um, the message and the the vision that that you had in your mind, and I think that's true. Whenever you hire an outside professional to try to help, um, whether it's in business, whether it's in religious life, educational life, um, I know that when I was designing my website, it was important to me to pick, pick somebody that understood Judaism and understood Torah and understood uh, Shigurim so they could uh, they would their vision would match mine, and we would be able to uh, we'd be able to create something that that. Uh, uh, that represented faithfully, you know, what I was hoping to see, but that, that was really important that the person understand. And the more they understand and get it, the more they are able to translate that understanding into the medium of, uh, you know, th- that you're using to communicate that, uh, you know, those ideas. Um, if you hire somebody to make great billboards or to make, uh, um, a visual uh, aids for a classroom and the people who create them don't understand the material that's being taught, it's not, going to, uh, it's not going to work. They're not going to know what to emphasize, what not to emphasize, how to present it, how not to present it. They'll, put, they'll introduce inaccuracies and other distortions. You don't want that. You want somebody who fully understands the material creating those kinds of media. And so here we have the same thing. If you really read the Torah, you see that, yes, a lot was left to the Chachamim to interpret it, to uh, translate the vision into something concrete there were guidelines there was definition there was definitely a uh, there was definitely a clear sense of certain things the quantitative factors were all laid out and the materials were laid out but exactly how that vision would come into uh, you know would, would be uh, translated into reality into into the physical world that was something that really was through the uh, you know was only through the mind of Bitzalil and Awliya especially Bitzalil that he was going to have to internalize and translate that vision into, uh, uh, into something that could be implemented in real life, which the Torah doesn't give, it only gives the bare bones and then relied on Btzalel to understand. But it wasn't enough that he understood the artistic concept of the Mishkan. He had to understand the ideas behind the Mishkan so he would be able to make sure that the Mishkan brought them out. The Mishkan really conveyed them. And um, this is why it's so important, like I said, in any, uh, in any realm to have people who are, uh, it, whenever you have people who are working on an artistic component of something or, or even not an artistic component, but I think it's the most obvious in that case. Um, an artistic component, or if you have someone who 's a communications director who 's right who 's sending out messages on behalf of an organization or a community, whatever it is, anything where the person 's going to have to translate a certain vision and filter it through their understanding, you have to make sure they really have a deep understanding. so B'talel so had a very deep understanding of the meaning of the of the creation. And the meaning of God's handiwork, and he understood the, that's why he's saying he understood the letters by which the universe was created. In other words, he understood the concepts of God's creation that were being conveyed through this Mishkan. And he was able to uh, make sure that the Mishkan embodied it and transmitted it to the people who would see it. That's what made B'tzalel so great. But there was another component to that, which is that it's very easy to have a vision. It's very easy to have a dream. But it's a lot harder to translate it into practicality. And I think that's the meaning of this first idea here. That Moshe Rabbeinu had given him the wrong order. He had mentioned the Aaron, the Kelim, and the Mishkan. First the Ark, then the Vessels, then the Mishkan. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu switch around what Hashem told him? Hashem told him from the beginning that he was supposed to... uh, He he was supposed to create first the Mishkan, and then the... uh, ark, and then the vessel. So why did Moshe Rabbeinu flip it around? Only for B'Tzalel to correct him. What's the answer? What was Moshe Rabbeinu's thought? Moshe Rabbeinu was presenting it to B'Tzalel in the order of importance. What is the essence of the Mishkan? The essence of the Mishkan is the Aron. In fact, the Mishkan is even called the uh, Mishkan Ha'edut, the place in which the Edut, in which the tablets of the law are housed. So that means that that's the essence of the Mishkan. The, The definition of the Mishkan. Without the Aron, without the ark, the Mishkan is really lacking in, uh, you know, in its, uh, its central feature. So when Moshe Rabbeinu is presenting it to Bitzalel, he presents it in order of importance. So he flips it around. The Aaron, and then the Kelim that are used in the service, and then of course the Mishkan, which is just practically the house in which all of these things are going to take place. But Bitzalel said, that can't be what Hashem said. It must be the other way around. You first need a structure, and then you place things in the structure. In other words, from a practical standpoint, what you're describing wouldn't work. Moshe Rabbeinu was talking from the idealistic standpoint, from the theoretical standpoint. Bitzalel flips it around and says, no, from a practical standpoint. And that's the difference between um, Bitzalel and... And somebody, somebody like Moshe Rabenu, who's thinking in the in the realm of the theoretical, in the realm of the idyllic, and somebody like Bitzalel who's thinking in terms of the uh, person who's going to see the Mishkan, in terms of the practicality, how to get from uh, how to get from one place to another to to guide a person towards a real understanding, that requires practical know how, not just theoretical conception. And so, whereas Moshe Rabenu. Is uh, perceiving the ideas in their you, you could say the most abstract theoretical form. Bitalil is trying to translate that into a medium that will attract uh, the the average person. His mind is on the um, his mind is on the practical side of things. So I think that's how these two. Uh, Midrashim or Agadot really fit together. What the Talmud is saying is that yes, Bitzalel had an understanding of the deepest principles of the creation of or B'Rishit but he understood how to combine the letters of them. Meaning he understood how to make it something under, uh, comprehensible, intelligible to the individual who would come to visit the Mishkan. The Mishkan lays out a general framework and outline certain design details and features and measurements. But at the end of the day, without someone like Bsla who really understands what it's about, Another, another example would be like using Google Translate, you know, since Google Translate just takes things literally and renders them literally, half the time what comes out is totally unintelligible because it doesn't really understand what you're asking. Whereas if you ask a real person who knows the language how to translate from one language to the other, and they know both languages, so they can take the language A and they come and they, they, they grasp what you're trying to say in language A and they render it in language B with full understanding. And that, that works much better. So when a person understands the vision, they understand the principles, they understand the concepts. They are able to translate them From one language to another That's why the Rambam actually said That it was very important to him That whoever translated his Arabic works Knew both Arabic and Hebrew But also knew the subject Because if they didn't know the subject He was talking about Then they would just give a literal translation And a literal translation wouldn't be enough So B'talel can't just literally translate What Hashem is telling him to create He has to have an understanding Of the meaning behind it So that what, what comes out Is, uh, is faithful to the ideas and the concepts that are being conveyed by the Mishkan. He was able to combine the letters in a way that would be, uh, that would be uh, comprehensible. And so too, he had a practical mind. So even though he understood the Aaron was the essence, it was the number one thing on the hierarchy of things in the Mishkan, that's for sure. But that doesn't mean that that's the way you go about constructing it. You go about constructing it with an eye to the practical. And that was what made Bitzalel a great person. But I think it's something very important um, to uh, Because it ties in with the question we had before The question we had in the beginning was What is really the connection between Shabbat and the Mishkan? The rabbis have to use the Mishkan to tell them uh, What the laws are of Shabbat um, it, just say stop doing, stop working in, on the mishkan on Shabbat, just like you stop doing every other melacha. Why did they have to fit the definition of melacha Shabbat into the ideas of the mishkan? They have to chase after examples in the mishkan to uh, to to justify saying that something is a melacha is a creative activity. As we said, melacha is, is an objective definition. It's not like. Avoda, which is subjective and personal. It's something that has an objective meaning. Why do they have to go chasing after examples in the Mishkan to justify what was considered, uh, considered Amlachah? But if we see that really what the Mishkan was, was a way... To help a person perceive the handiwork of Hashem. Really the idea of the Mishkan was to be a miniature Maaseh bar-reshit. It's to be a kind of miniature microcosm of the creation for a person to be able to access a sense of awe and wonder at God's handiwork. Through the medium of the Mishkan. And we, then we see that by by tying the Mishkan to Shabbat. Shabbat is a day that we commemorate the creation of the universe. That Hashem stopped His Mlacha in creating the universe after six days. And on the seventh day He rested. So too the Mishkan, the construction of the Mishkan is a construction of a microcosm of the universe. A microcosm of the creation that is supposed to reflect ultimately the handiwork of God. Um, and in fact, there are many Midrashim, there are, there are Midrashim in, uh, in Shemot Rabbah that take each part of the Mishkan and, and discuss how they correlate to the uh, to the Maaseh Barishit, to the creation, the light in the Mishkan, to the light of the creation, the spreading out of the heavens, the spreading out of the tent on top of the Mishkan, and so on. All of the components of the Mishkan, the Midrash ties Two components of the uh, of the creation itself of the six days of creation. So the uh, so why is that? Because a person has a much hard. Uh, it's much more difficult for a person to see what they take for granted to have a sense of wonder um, when they're in an environment that they take for granted. To look at the even though nature is the most spectacular uh, manifestation of God's wisdom and, and handiwork that there is. And really, that is the royal road to recognizing Hashem. It's so difficult for us to see it because we take it for granted. It fades into the background of our consciousness. A person comes to the Mishkan and their consciousness is all of a sudden awakened. Their sense of, uh, their, 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 sense of, of the, their environment becomes heightened they be, and, and, and they become very attentive. And the purpose of the Mishkan really is for them to become aware of the majesty of God, not so that when they leave the Mishkan they forget about it, but so when they leave the Mishkan they look at the world differently than they did before. So they look at the world now. It's like, we know that uh, Shlomo Melech said, and, he, and Yishayahu very famously said, famously said kisiva, Really, the heavens are my throne, and the, foot, and the earth is my footstool. Ezabayit what kind of a house are you going to build for me? Meaning the real testimony to God's existence and greatness is the universe. We know that. But most people don't see it. You come to the Mishkan and you're impressed with the handiwork of the Mishkan that highlights for you the majesty of God and then you leave the Mishkan and you see the world with different eyes from a different perspective. That's what's really supposed to happen when a person leaves the Mishkan. But only somebody gifted like Petzalel who understood the ideas of the creation that needed to be conveyed to the people and could translate them into the medium of the art of the Mishkan in order to bring about, to heighten that consciousness among the people, to inspire them to see the world differently. Only somebody like Btzalil, who had both the artistic, practical understanding and the, uh, and the theoretical understanding of the meaning, uh, uh, the, the wisdom in creation would be able to combine the two and make an artistic, uh, an artistic spectacle that would actually inspire people to real wisdom and understanding of God. Unfortunately, most art is, uh, doesn't work like that because most people are either Great theoretical thinkers—they—they they ponder. You know, let's say somebody, who, any field. They study Talmud, they study Halakha, they study Torah, they—they they study. You know, they study the law of of Hashem. Or people study science, they study physics, study chemistry. People study theoretical disciplines and and are intellectuals. And then you have another group that are artists, and these people express uh, express things through music, or they express things through. Uh, poetry, they express things through literature, um, they express things through uh, visual arts, um, uh, uh, you know, musical arts, visual arts, all kinds of art. But there's oftentimes a disconnect because the people with the deepest ideas about the world are not necessarily the ones with the greatest artistic gifts. And the people with the greatest artistic gifts who know how to convey a message in a compelling medium are not necessarily the people that have the right ideas that are worthy of conveying. So what ends up happening is that most artists mainly convey their own thoughts about the world, whether they're deep or superficial, whether they're right or wrong, whether they're distorted or clear, it doesn't matter. Their own perceptions of the world are conveyed through their music, what they think is important, or through their visual art, what they think is important, what they think is noteworthy, the, the, the impact, the message that they want to send. Whereas most people who are studying in a more, in a more objective way, the, the learners of the world, whatever they're learning, um, whether it's in Torah or it's in other disciplines, are not are are uh, might see things more clearly, and then they look at the artists that are writing things, and they say these people or the or the artists that are composing music or the artists who are um, creating um, visual arts or sculptures, whatever, and they say uh, this is not really capturing the idea. This is not really this is not really uh, bringing people closer to the truth. It's bringing people further away from from the truth, and that's a shame. And you know they're not utilizing these amazing and very powerful media. Of music and art and the written word and and the spoken word to to really communicate ideas of substance and ideas of truth. Imagine the the power of film as a medium. Imagine the power of uh you know and some of course some have some some wise people have taken advantage of these uh, of the uh, of these various art forms in order to convey wisdom and really educate people. But it's it's few and far between. In our tradition, we have, of course, Shlomo HaMelech, who did that. We have also, of course, the, maybe the most famous, David HaMelech, who did that. David HaMelech, using poetry, using music, educated the people, inspired them to a true understanding of God. That's combining the great gifts of the artist, of the practical person, of the person who understands how to convey a message in, a, uh, in a, uh, an inspiring and engaging medium, uh, with a person who has a true understanding of the ideas that need to be conveyed. But an, uh, another person could be, like a person could be a great teacher or a great speaker, great at conveying uh, messages, but might not have the right messages. But when you have both, that's the ideal. Um, and it's a, uh, it's like the Rambam actually, in one of his books, in Sefer HaMitzvot, where he counts the 613 mitzvot, says that many of the rabbis who wrote poetry of the 613 mitzvot, got them wrong. They didn't have the right count. They didn't know how to... Properly identify what the 613 mitzvot were. So their poems are actually full of mistakes. And many of the things they count as mitzvot are not actually among the 613 mitzvot. And things that they count as more than one mitzvah are really one. Or they might not even count at all. Or they might break up one mitzvah into multiple mitzvot thinking that each one of these details is another mitzvah. Either way there, his point was that they made a beautiful poem but it's teaching the wrong idea. It's teaching the wrong message. And so then you end up conveying the wrong ideas, using a brilliant medium. It's a brilliant artistic use of the medium, but it is not a brilliant, um, it doesn't educate people in a brilliant way towards truth. And so that's what Btzalil was. He was a person who was able to combine these two things. And the Mishkan, again, just like our synagogues, we come into the synagogue and we're supposed to have a heightened awareness of God. Not that God is more found in the synagogue than anywhere else. Not that God is limited by space or time but that the synagogue is able to uplift our awareness of God, intensify our kavana, our concentration on God. Not so that when we leave, we lose sight of that, but so we carry that impact with us when we go and engage in the rest of the world. We will now see things differently. Hopefully, you've gone to shiurim, you've gone to classes, or you've, had, you've heard lectures, or you've, you've, you've had experiences that were... Um, had in a particular place in time, but you afterwards internalized a new view of the world. You look at things differently. Like maybe you learned about what a rainbow really is. Now when you see a rainbow, you think differently. Or maybe you learned something about trees or plants. And now when you see plants and trees, you think differently or learn something about the sun or the moon or, or, or about anything in your environment. And now suddenly you perceive it differently than you did in the past. The lesson penetrates the way you look at the world. And the idea of the Mishkan wasn't for religiosity to be centered in the Mishkan because people actually only visited the Beit HaMikdash periodically. But the idea was that that recharging, that inspiration that they received from that experience would shape their view of the world the rest of the year. But this concept that the Mishkan is connected to Shabbat is very critical because it means that the Mishkan is a microcosm of the universe. It's a way to make us aware of the creator of the universe. Not so that we only see his wisdom and handiwork in the instructions for the construction of the Mishkan, but so that we can carry with us that awareness and that framework for looking at the creation of the world um, around us. The other 364, or I guess if they went three times a year, 362 days of the year that they weren't, um, at the Beth HaMikdash so this is a I, but I think there's a, a an idea here and, and one last one last point that, uh, that I had touched upon the idea that Hashem only gives wisdom to a person who has wisdom and I think that this is a and, and it says lev kol chacham lev natati in the hearts of, a, of all the wise hearted I have placed wisdom and there's another saying that they say that you know in the physical world you can only put something in an empty cup but in a in an empty container but in the spiritual world in the world of wisdom um, that which is full you can place wisdom in but that which is uh, that which is empty you can't place wisdom in uh, meaning to say that a person who is wise is uh, has a natural affinity for more understanding they're drawn to greater understanding whereas the person who isn't educated and doesn't have wisdom uh, it, it is repelled by, uh, by by wisdom and and, and repelled by uh, by insight. They they they're not able to stomach it. They're not able to internalize it. Whereas a person, once they are wise and intelligent and they have a background in in in, in chuchma, so the more chokhma you give them. The the more it enriches them, and the more that and the more that it develops them. But a person who doesn't have a foundation in wisdom will reject, and that's why in the, the book of Mishlei it always talks about the fools hating knowledge and they hate wisdom and they hate insight and they 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 don't want anything to do with it. But the person who's a lover of truth and really has learned will become wiser and wiser. The person who has wisdom will continue to grow in wisdom, and that's what it means that Btzalel had wisdom. And understanding, and he built on, enriched that wisdom with an understanding of how to express his ideas and his and and, and his insights in the medium of this artistic, uh, uh, th- these kinds of artistic structures and creations um, that that he created and that he directed. And so, <clears throat> and so this is the. Uh, it's similar to what it says. The Mishnah says that uh, the the. Uh, uh, it's a, it's, not a, uh, it's a, a well-known Mishnah because it's, it's quoted from time to time, although it's in a Masechet that isn't uh, learned that often. But it's Masechet Kinim, but it says there that the, the wise person, uh, the older he gets, the difference between a wise person and an ignorant person is that an ignorant person, the older they get, the more foolish they get. But a wise person, the older they get, the wiser they become. And the uh, and the reason is because as a person who is ignorant, they become more and more stubborn and more and more set in their ways and more and more resistant to change and 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 more and more uh, 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 let's say skeptical of or uh, uh, or uh, repelled by uh, new ideas and new understanding. Whereas the person, so therefore, they become more and more um, limited. Whereas the person who is a wise person who's seeking truth, that person, the, even as they get older, they continue to learn more. They're always seeking new ideas and new insight, new, new ways to develop their understanding and apply their understanding. And that's why their lives are exciting lives of growth and, uh, and, and constant development even to the end of their lives. Whereas the ignorant person becomes more and more cut off from the opportunity to learn as he gets older. So that's, this is the importance of wisdom. Wisdom in the area of understanding the truth and understanding what Hashem wants to teach us, but also the wisdom of how to take that understanding, how to take that knowledge, how to take that insight, and to translate it into a form that others can benefit from. Not to be like the typical artist who basically takes his or her own angst or own hopes and dreams or own desires and fantasies and creates art out of them for everyone to appreciate and to, and to relate to. But someone who uses the artistic medium or th- whether it be visual, whether it be auditory, whatever kind of, or whether it be the, the spoken word and utilizes those vehicles to help people come closer to Hashem and to a better understanding of God, this is what Bitzalel did, what made him such a great person, but it's also something that we can emulate in our own lives uh, when we consider ways in which we can help our understanding of Hashem to be accessed by and to be perceived by and, and, and to be appreciated by people who could really benefit from it. So, Be'ezrat Hashem, we should be inspired by Bitzalel to greater wisdom, but also to greater understanding of how to use that wisdom for the benefit of other people. And Bezorah Hashem next week, we will uh, continue our learning. We will be up to uh, Sefer Vayikra already. We'll be learning Parashat Vayikra. And then we'll, um, of course, we'll have the uh, Pesach, will be rolling around. And I think after Pesach, we're going to perhaps try um, some new angles on the Parashah because the, it comes up on the Parashiot of Kor- Korbanot, which could be very difficult for people to follow. And so we're, I'm going to be uh, hopefully finding some, um, a different angle, presenting a different angle uh, on those parashiyot to help us appreciate how they're relevant and uh, and how they can be, uh, you know, s- inspiring to us despite content that might seem a little bit off-putting or a little bit distant. Uh, I, I believe that, you know, obviously the Torah is for all time. It's for all eternity and it has something to say to us now and we can, if we look at these parashiyot correctly, we'll be able to gain from them as well. Uh, so, Bezrat Hashem, see everybody next week. I thank everyone for coming and, uh, Uh, And have a wonderful evening.